Gaming NBS episode 115, coming to you July 25th, 2017. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. How y'all doing? Hope you're doing well. Sean, how are you doing, man? Oh, man, I am doing fantastic. So you, you quit a job and you finally picked up another job. So that's good, you filthy hobo. Glad you're working. Yeah, I quit before I signed an offer, man. I felt I, I felt saucy. You were like on the razor's edge. That's what you are. Crazy that's mad man. That's, that's the way I roll. Hey, speaking of roll, zip zaps. Zip zaps. Holy shit. We have t-shirts out there now, right? We got zip zap t-shirts. Are they out there? They are up. Although okay. Ray, uh, Ray, our, Ray Otis. our designer. Yes, our artiste. <laughs> our designer. Our corporate designer. Um, has... Uh, futzed with the art that he had come up with, and I don't know if his version is better than his previous version. But I uploaded the original one that he gave me uh, okay. to our store. So there are there is versions of it in outlined in white, and there are versions outlined in black. So it depends on what look you're looking for and what color T-shirt. of shirt you put it on and how it looks. I have not ordered any. We have not proofed them. So if you order one, I think um, I think Ray did order one from our not from our shop, but he put it up on like because we use Spreadshirt. He put up a design and order it and said it's it looked good. Sweet. So I don't know. I I say that in warning because you could order it and be like this thing looks like shit, and it's not because of Ray's fault it would be me putting it up in a different resolution or something along those lines but it should be should be good it'll look fine it'll be fine it'll be fine i mean you know what what do you expect from us (laughs) just remember just remember where the bar is set exactly and the fact that we didn't that ray was nice enough to do this. Um, he's he does really really good work. He did this out of the kindness of his heart. And chances yes. are, if it goes bad, it's not Ray. It's us. We probably fuck something up. That's, That's what right. I'm saying. Yes. But anyway, yeah, I'm- zip zip zaps from gaming NBS. Man, we updated our Twitter uh, avatar, which I probably will spread around a little bit too. And- We've thanked Ray before, but just one more time, Ray. Thanks, man. That's just that still makes me smile every time I see it. Yeah. We got some ideas right. with that. We got some other ideas with that logo, so we'll see. Yeah, Hopefully, game hole, game hole, target game hole. That's the target. Yeah. So what do we got here? I think we've got um, on to announcements. Um, Gaming BS Banner, one of my buddies, uh, Chad Knight, from um, my game crew up in my hometown, is coming down again with some with some of his friends and other people I've gamed with up in my hometown. And there, I think he's actually going to be putting in a board game or two that he's going to run under our banner. So we'll oh, see if he can get that going. Nice. He said, what do you think about board games? Yes, board yes. G- and I said, that rounds out. Por- no, that rounds not, out our portfolio, right? They're not off limits by any means. Uh, no, they're not. Board games or or uh, non-collectible card games or deck builders. Any of that stuff is certainly welcome under the Gaming and BS banner. They do not have to all be RPGs by any means. Yeah, so what do we have, Sean? I think we've got like 28 events so far under the 28 banner. 28 freaking events, man. 28. That's, that's pretty cool. Spread amongst, I think, something like 14 people. That is really It's nuts. Yeah. And it's not over. I mean, I don't know who's gonna, who else will slide in there with some. You mentioned Chad and the folks up in the Warsaw coming down. That would be super awesome. And if they don't, that's cool too. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just one more really cool thing that... Listeners, friends of the show are doing so. Putting out some good games for gamers. Awesome stuff. Um, so a little side update. Say, oh, sorry. Go. Go. I got to say, like, Kev Thulu is not only, now, he originally put in one event for Call of Cthulhu. He has submitted two more under Mar- Monster Hearts 2. I think that's the second edition. <clears throat> Dude's been grooving on Monster Hearts pretty, pretty hardcore. He's Which had a is, chance to play that game a lot. He's loving it. Yeah. So, again... Our diversity in games is, I'm, I don't know if anybody can touch it. There, I said it. There, I said it, Brett. Boom. 
Boom, drop the mic. At least, yeah. I, at least I game hole anyway. That's right. Yeah, I'm not talking about Gen Con games on demand and all that other crap. No, no. No, we're just saying where we where where we live, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. All right. So we already thanked Ray in the Zip Zap shirt. That's good. Oh yeah. Um, the Avalon Kickstarter. I've talked to. We got together last night to get. Oh, I shouldn't say last night. <clears throat> this last Wednesday, Chris, Kevin, Emily, Tom, and I got together to do some gaming. And we've got um, kind of in the final phases of getting the Kickstarter put together and getting ready to launch it. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. I don't, I don't have the date yet for its launch, but we're um, we're grooving, so I'm pretty pleased, very happy with what we've got so far. So yeah, that's about it, man. Contribute to Brett's early retirement. Uh, Avalon Kickstarter coming soon. Sean's just gonna ride the coattails, so I will be. Brett's groupie, as though I'm not already, and therefore, <laughs> like Brett will just take me everywhere. Like, hey, I'm going to Gen Con, I need a groupie, and I'll be like, dude, I'm in. And carry then they'll, they'll carry my up. bag, Kelly. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I'll be like uh, Entourage, man. I'll be uh, some of those weasels on Entourage. Wow, that'd be that'd be kind of weird. I don't know if I don't know if I'd like that. Well, I'd, I'd have to try it before I'd say I don't like it. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, hung around with Brett, man. He's all right. Yeah, got to go and hook up with him later, you know. <laughs> anyway, should we? You got any more announcements, man? Fuck no. Let's get in a random encounter. All right, let's pretend we got a show. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media from our awesome listeners and friends. Uh, all of these, I think, are about 149. Well, we'll find out. You start reading, and we'll see where okay. we go. All right, Spencer Clark. I'm in the once-a-month maybe camp. So if you didn't tune into 149, go back to 149. It's the one before this one, because we do know how to count. Math is tough, but we do know how to count. And we did one on the time lapse between running games. So, Spencer Clark, I'm in the once-a-month maybe camp. We wanted to play more again, but my wife and I have to get up and leave the table a lot to tend, attend to our toddler. So we selected a manageable number of groovy individuals who are fairly reliable. Uh, we also have two campaigns alternating, and if one can't happen for any reason, the other can. We set the next date at the end of the current session, then check if we need to reschedule early the week of the penciled-in date. Even with those precautions, the small group size means we occasionally don't have enough players. When that happens, we still get together and do board games because I don't want anyone to lose the habit of playing in our group and let the campaigns fizzle out. So far, I think it's helped keep the expectation that there is a next game still, and it takes some of the sting out of having to cancel. I love that, Spencer, because... So having the alternating campaigns, that was the thing Sean and I did not say, and that's a goddamn good idea, because, say Sean and I are in the same group, I can't make it, Sean's running a Star Wars game, alternating, you know, might be the secondary campaign to my D&D, and then we switch, and he's got the primary versus secondary, blah, 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 that's awesome. And I know people always said, we can always get together and do board games, and it's kind of thrown out and like almost poo-pooed, I think, by some folks, but I'll tell you... What Spencer's saying here, keep that expectation that there is a next game. You're getting together, you're going to game, you're going to do something together as a group, and it's a fun thing that you all enjoy doing, then you're going to want to keep hanging out, keep getting together, and do some gaming. So I think that is a damn, damn fun idea. Yes. All right. What do we got here? Crim Fan comments is on mystery and laps between games. So he's actually covering two shows. Anyway, I wanted to really say that the blog post cited on Mysteries was really good. I highly recommend it and, and will definitely use those ideas in the future. In a nutshell, they recommend planning three different solutions to any problem. That's a potential choke point slash critical path. As to session pace, I think biweekly is a good way to make it happen. One of the reasons the game I was lamenting in the post you read on this episode had issues was because of intermittent attendance and a lot of last-minute changes, which made my elaborate story very hard to sustain. I run a different group bi-weekly, and people really make an effort to show up online. It makes a big difference. I totally agree about the scheduling, too. Get it on the calendar early, and people really need to stick with it. Writing at least a brief recap makes a huge difference regarding, regardless of the game. Someone should really do it. Good point. Good stuff, Crimpan. Yes. Yeah. All right. Angela. 
Murray from the Gnome Stew and the Gnome Cast, I believe. Yes, she is. Well, she's both of those things. Awesome person as well. So there we go. Yeah, I cannot wait to meet Angela. Hey, Brett and Sean. I have many thoughts on scheduling games and the gaps that can happen between campaign sessions. In some ways, I think you guys were discussing two distinct points. First, the work it takes to maintain a schedule that keeps a gaming group alive and well. Then second, the problems and frustrations having a lapse of time between sessions of a campaign. Yes, that sounds on mark. That definitely does it. On point, on point. point. Hit the mark on point. There we go. Yes. On the first topic, I think people often underestimate how much work it takes to maintain relationships and social groups. Without care and attention, all relationships can fade away, even friendships. Boo. Boo. Makes me sad. It's true, though. It is true. People think because it's easy to be friends with someone that it doesn't take any work. But let circumstances change a little and it's easy to lose touch with someone you care about. This is true of all social groups, too, including gaming groups. Yes. I've been gaming with the same core group since 2000, about 2004. But several years ago, I realized we were not gaming far more than we were actually gaming. I took it upon myself to try and revitalize the group. Everyone agreed to bring in a couple of new players that we all knew and liked already, and most importantly, to try and stick to a schedule. For the most part, it has worked and kept the group alive and well since then. Thing is, it isn't easy. Take some dedication to make sure everyone's on the same page for when and what we're playing. Ultimately, though, these are people I enjoy gaming with, and I'm okay with doing what I can to see our group continue. On the second topic, I'm of the opinion that I'm willing to wait almost any amount of time for a good game. Even a game that only gets played once a year is worth it if it's with the right people and is a story I want to dig further into. Over the years, I've had several games that occur with large gaps between sessions. There's the Marvel game that occurs when the right combination of people end up in the same place, the Farscape Invitational Crew crew that gets together every Origins, all in addition to Chris's Knight's Black Agents game, which we had mentioned. Yes, it did. was, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure, I'd love to play more, but I'll take what I can get of good people and good games, and sometimes the people I want to game with have limited availability. One of the best campaigns I ever played only had about eight or so sessions over the course of three years. We only played when the GM's cousin was in town, usually during college breaks. The game was very episodic at first, but the players had great chemistry and the GM was able to masterfully weave the episodic sessions into a connected tapestry that led to an epic finale. At this point, I'm used to treating games like a good TV series. It may go on hiatus for a little while, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be just as enthusiastic when it comes back on air. Sorry for the long-winded reply, but I did warn you I had thoughts. Thanks again for a great episode, Ange. I'll tell you what, there is one of the pieces, when she, the first piece that it takes that it takes work um, and that you've got to put the, the time into it, I think is absolutely, absolutely true. And if you have, if you've got a really good group, this is kind of what we tried to hammer last time. I, I, I'm basically in absolute agreement with everything she said there. It's not easy, and sometimes you've got to take the, you know, the dice by the, Dice by the dice by the bag and uh, make it work. You know you've got to, somebody has to step up and do it, and it's not always fun to have to be the person who does it. But you know what? If you want it to happen, make it happen. And the other piece that she mentioned is uh, where is it here? Uh, every basically everyone has agreed um, on what they're going to play, and um, and they're on the same page. So even it's that opportunity. It's that what do I want to say? It's that chance for you to try new games. And somebody says, "Hey, I want to play." Uh, Blades in the Dark, and you might be like, eh, well, all right, sure, I'll try it. If you're with a good group you like gaming with, try that game you don't necessarily want to play or hadn't really thought about playing if everyone else wants to give it a shot. And that, again, helps to keep the group together because that person who's really hip about that new different thing that they want to try, if you always shut them down, it's hard to keep them coming back to the table. All right, enough of Brett babbling. So Eli Kurtz, pet trail on the show, comments and says... 
Thanks for the shout-out about Caltrops, gents, recording the episode's topic. Regularly scheduled games are a real aspiration of mine, but they're hard to make work. Here's my general process. One, I aim for three to five players, so I start by contacting six to ten to let them know I want to go on a game. <laughs> hey, shoot high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, you've got a percent of loss, blah, blah, blah. Number two, I suggest a couple of settings to see who's still interested. After setting is decided, I suggest a few dates that would work as a regular meeting time. Setting on just one date typically weeds out a few more players. Only after that point do I start making characters. My hope is that players who are interested enough to get the drudgery out of the way first are interested enough to attend regularly. Setting a particular date is also nice because it allows people to anticipate it on their calendars. The major source of trouble comes from irregular schedules at this point. Most of my players are either actors or involved in some kind of gig-based evening side hustle. If I schedule for Tuesday night games, for example, that means actors have to drop out for months at a time for rehearsal and performances. It's impossible to predict when you'll get cast in a show, so there's really no way to find a single weekend that will work all the time. Curious to know how others approach this? Anybody else game with people who have unpredictable schedules? Well, Eli, I don't have... I have friends and I who have dabbled in acting back in the college days, but I'll tell you what, the uh, the swing shifter is a common uh, thing that I have run into with uh, friends of mine who have worked factory jobs or other ones where there's a, you know, you've got mornings, evenings, or morning, afternoon, and night shift. And if you're used to running, starting a game, oh, we'll start at 5 o'clock every Saturday night. And depending what's going on, and the other piece is mandatory overtime that some of my friends have run into. Well, I can't make the game... Because on Thursday, we were told we're all working overtime on Saturday. I need the money, Brett. I'm going to put in a double shift and go on. So those things have happened to me. It's usually been, it's not quite as unpredictable in a way. I mean, the mandatory overtime, but it usually only affects one, maybe two people, not like a whole group. But I think the closest I personally have come is the uh, the swing shifter and the uh, the mandatory overtime that some people have gotten hit with. Yeah, it's mostly, I think as we mature professionally, many of us, not all, but many of us end up getting the eight to five corporate job. And those are, I mean, usually at the weekends off, you're done. Even if you have overtime, you're done typically by five or six o'clock at night, whatever that looks like. The ones that kind of suck wind, which most of us have gone through at some point is when you're working retail or Food. Look at Jason. Look at Jason Blaylock. He's an over-the-road trucker. He's been. Yep. You know, he'll hit. He'll hit the. He'll hit the road. Be gone for a while, and depending where he's at or what that schedule is, that can that can jack around with you too. Yeah, I think many times it has to do with like outside the corporate eight to five job. If you get a job that's like anything but that one, you're always susceptible to your schedules made out a month ahead of time, and it's never consistent. Um. And then, of course, you're like, if you're in the trucking and transportation industry and all that stuff, then you start getting in. And it's unfortunate because you get some of those folks that are like, they're probably some of your die-hardest gamers, but they just can't make every single session on the same day of the week. Yep. You know, every week at the same time. And it's like, they may even just be able to, like, make the final two hours or, you know, then you're, you know, they're coming in at the half halfway point. And you try to accommodate them because they're the ones that probably really try the hardest too because they also value, they understand like, well, my schedule's all screwed up all the time. And I don't, don't want to be the game. person that's screwing everybody else, so I'm going to haul ass there to make it work. Yeah. So and, it's, <laughs> those, I, I empathize with those folks because, man, totally. totally not cool. Like, just imagine, Brett, you and I have kind of standard schedules, and then these people are don't, and they're trying their asses off. Yeah, to try to try to make it happen as much as they can, and then us, we're kind of like, man, well, I got stuff going on, not really, kind of. Going. I had three guys that were in my <laughs> gaming group. Two of them aren't there anymore, but Zave um, and two other guys, Paul and Andy, were uh, the those three were cooks. They worked in different restaurants in my hometown, and both Andy and Paul uh, had worked because it was once a month. It was always last weekend of the month for the longest time when they were playing, so they'd find out when it was, they'd schedule that day off. And on one occasion, they each had the boss say, no, I need you because blah, blah, blah. So fuck it. I can't make the game, Brett. Second time it happened, Paul said, I quit. I was wow. like, what? He goes, no, I told you a month in advance. It's more than enough time. I quit. And he walked off the job. They called him back and begged him back because he was amazing. And Andy, same thing. 
he was the he was the uh, kitchen manager guy, and uh, he got pissed off. It was like second time they're going to do it to him. He's like, "Nope, fuck you, I quit." <laughs> I, 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 I and when they up showed there. up, when, when they show up in their in their uh, chef whites, and you're like, "Aren't you working?" And Paul looks at me and goes, "Fuck them." I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's roll some dice, brother. It's time to kill some orcs, man. I'd, I'd bump up their guys like one level just for their panache. Yeah, the chutzpah it takes to, yeah. to quit your job just so you can game. That's pretty ballsy. How many XP to your next level? 4,000. Bing! Congratulations. Done. All right, moving on. Uh, Larry Hollis. Larry, Larry, yeah. Yeah, Larry Hollis, gonna... Hollis says regarding... Sorry, what? Well, I'm reading, man. Go ahead. Go What's going ahead, on? man. I, I thought this you is read a short the last one. one. I want this one. Right. I did, but right, I want this one. Regarding episode 149, <laughs> Larry says, Man, if you have issues with gamers flaking and have too many people who want to play to make it feasible, get yourself a West Marches campaign. Um, he's referencing uh, Matt Colville's um, West Marches campaign. He's got a link in the show notes to Matt Colville's YouTube thing uh, for he's running 5e. If you if you haven't seen Matt Colville's YouTube channel, I have a lot of fun watching it. I don't always... Um, get a chance to see his ep- see his uh, episodes when they come out but I'll get a time uh like in a weekend or something where I'm just kind of putz around in my home office and I'll let it go and I'll watch kind of binge watch listen to a few of them so it's some good stuff the dude looks like fucking Brett he does not he's got a rounder face but he looks like fucking Brett he's got the beard <laughs> he's got the pepper he's got the same hairline the f- I'm telling you he looks like Brett so if I ever get to meet Matt Colville in person, I'll get a picture side by side with him. That's what we'll do. That would be awesome. If I if, if that ever happens, chances of that happening nil. But if it happens, I'll do it. Hopefully, he won't punch me out like Monty Cook did. So now he doesn't have a reason to yet. Not yet. Not yet. Still, still early. Absolutely. I'll I'll piss Con- somebody off. Carry on. Continuing, continuing with one forty nine. Uh, Michael Parker. Uh, I think I found a sweet spot, patron of the show. I think I've found a sweet spot with my current schedule. Last year, there was a period where I was gaming face-to-face every Tuesday. However, it wore a bit on my family life, so I switched to bi-weekly. Uh, in the last couple months, I've slotted in another bi-weekly game on Roll20. Hey. Not bad. On the off weeks to the face-to-face game. Yep, that's almost exactly the way I've done it too, Michael. Uh, that I run when the family is in bed on Friday nights. This affords me the opportunity to game at least once a week on a consistent basis while maintaining game-slash-family balance. Yep, totally with you. Uh, the staggered weekly schedule also allows the occasional occasional weekend or midweek game should they come up so I can average 1.5 games a week, which, as mentioned, feels like a sweet spot. For a while... I had another bi-weekly game going on Mondays, and it did start to seem like a lot. However, this was just a playtest group that was together for a finite uh, amount of time. Regarding the laps between bi-weekly games, I tend to agree that it strikes the best balance when it comes to anticipation and continuity. The extra week gives players time to reflect on what happened, and by the God's graces, write a goddamn recap once in a while. (laughs) <laughs> it gives the GM time to write, prep, adapt the game as needed, and arguably, most importantly, gives everyone the time to miss miss the game. As in, like... I wish I missed, we were playing. I, I miss, we I miss playing. doing that. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, so much time hasn't passed that it takes an hour to get everyone back up to speed, or worse, people start to lose interest. Great episode as usual, fellas. Thanks a bundle. You know, I think there's a piece there, and we talked about it, and at least I mentioned it, I know, and, and Sean did, I think, as well, is the war on a bit on the family life. So it would be awesome if I could game, you know, for eight hours every week or weekend, where I could go, hey, it's Saturday, it's game day, and I could just do that. So for me, from a family life perspective, one of the things I've got going for me is I've got kids that like to game, So when I, and whenever I want a game, I can get AJ... Or Alana and Connor, if he's still around, he hasn't shipped out to Air Force Basic yet. But anyway, point is, is that I think it's really important to make sure that just a uh, family tip: if <laughs> if you're pissing off your significant other and/or children and missing them because you're too busy rolling dice, that 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 I, I, that's been the the death knell for many a gamer I've known over the years. Oh, I can't. My wife won't let me. 
I'm like, what? Well, I spend too much time doing it. I'm like, well, cut back, dude. I mean, for God's sakes, you know, ease up then. There is there is a sweet spot that you can find, and it if you're putting the effort into finding that sweet spot, it will be a lot easier on you. Yeah, it's all about balance. Absolutely. All right, who we got next? Jared Rasher. It varies by group and venue for me. Again, talking about 149. When I was running at our old friendly local gaming store, the owner wanted to have a wider variety of games, so we couldn't run more often than every other week. That allowed for more RPGs to be scheduled. Now I was running 3.5 in Pathfinder and need two weeks between sessions to have everything planned out and ready to go. Additionally, I've been in groups where we all wanted to play more than one game and more than one person wanted to GM, so we alternated weeks. In that case, 3.5 and D20 Star Wars. Okay, I'm just going to take it aside. Jared, holy shit that you've got groups that actually more than one people want to GM. I don't know if you understand and appreciate how rare that is, but anybody else out there, it's not that often that you've got a group of people with a at least two three other people who are willing to GM for you. Anyway, he continues, I can totally understand varying uh, to get more gaming variety. However, there have been times when I wanted to and could run weekly, but ended up running two separate games. Sometimes that's taxing because keeping two separate game systems in my head can be difficult. My current D&D group has been playing two to three hours every Thursday. It's been a lot easier for me in 5th edition to keep up this pace than it was in 3.5. Unintentionally, I have a de facto yearly game now because now that I have uh, run Monster of the Week multiple times at Winter War, the players that have signed up from previous years have been playing their same characters and referencing past events in play. That's pretty cool. Finally, I think sometimes it's better to set a day and keep that day and just miss the usual day than to constantly alter a schedule. For example, if you play every other Monday, everyone knows that, yeah, you might not play for a month, but if you start playing some games on Tuesdays and other games on Thursday, it gets harder to keep everyone on the same page. And I think you actually risk losing more players in that instance, even if you got a few more games in on those two or three rescheduled days than the in between the drop-off. Hmm. I think that depends by group, Jared, but I'll tell you what, that does, uh, by my home group, last Saturday of the month, is the go-to. We do vacillate periodically, but 90% of all of our games every year, last Saturday of every month. So that does it does definitely help from scheduling perspective. I can see that. Yeah, mixing it up is good if you can accommodate it, but it just starts to get wacky, wonky, and that's how I got Brett into our group when we played online was because what happens is if you start out on a particular day of the week and a ter- particular time, and there's four to five people that commit to that. And then as time goes on, one or two people cannot commit to that or don't commit to that. You can always just put it out to people that you know and say, we have a Monday night game that's from 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Anybody want to join? Can you make that? And the people that will volunteer to make that already know that they date the day and time, so they're more apt to make that happen. But if you start slushing it around like just to accommodate Brett, then you risk maybe taking somebody that's been playing for the last six months and then deprioritizing them as kind of, hey, you know, I, I've kind of got tenure here and here comes Brett. Now he wants to play on Tuesdays because it's the only game Brett can play or night. And I've been playing for six months on Mondays and you're going to move it. And I won't be able to. And then it's kind of like a mess. It, it's a social. It's such a social game, and there's so many. It's not like saying, "Oh, we're gonna have a dinner party," and you plan it months and months in advance. I mean, I know, like I say, I am very fortunate. Once a month games, they tend to be long. Get together at four, start gaming no later than five, then go until about eleven, maybe twelve, if we're us old guys can still keep rolling. But not everybody can do, you know, six hours, seven hours, eight hours. Sometimes it's two, three, and that's all you've got time for. So, yeah, moving things around and juking the schedule like that can just, that's just, it can be hell. Totally hell. Yeah, anyway. All right. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Commenting. Much appreciated. I hope everybody uh, found something on that. You know, I'll tell you what, though, one of the nice things that I heard from the listener feedback is everybody's finding ways to make it work, and a lot of it comes down to, you know, understanding their groups and banging away and just making sure that they make it happen as a group. So I like, I'm like i happy for our gamer listeners that they've, uh, they're able to keep it rolling. We want to make it, we want to make it happen. That's the deal, right? This is kind of the purpose of that. Yeah. That episode. Right? Absolutely. Right. 
All right, Brett. Mega Dungeons. Mega Dungeons. And if you're a fan of riffs, it's maybe akin to Mega Damage, which is one of the dumbest things in the world, in my opinion. Anyway. Mega Man. Mega Man. Mega Dungeons. Or Megatron or anything else that's mega. So (laughs) we had a couple of listeners talk about this. I know Dan Domi and a few others are actually. Dan was talking about uh, on his Facebook account how, and I think he even mentioned too in G+, that he's looking, he was going to plan like a mega dungeon. I think he was going to use Borrow Maze or one of those. And I remember seeing at one point, it was at uh, Gamehole Con, and Noble Knight was there, of course, and they had their the world's largest dungeon, which is this big, fucking huge-ass book. It's like, a, I can't remember, it was a $100 book or something crazy when it first came out. It's as thick as Tullus, if you know what Tullus is. Monty Cook's Tullus, which is... yeah. I don't know if it's 800 pages. Yeah, it's not quite, you know, OED size, but it's fracking big. It might be a 1,000. It's just gigantic. Anyway, so I see so that. It's, it's like the thickness of a very good-sized community's phone book. And yes. for those of for those of you that don't know what a phone book is, we used to get those. <laughs> <laughs> Senda, which doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> no. So it's big. <laughs> Anyhow. So I thought, you know, their mega dungeons are kind of cool. I do have a love of dungeons. Part of it is because I'm an old D&D player, and dungeons were where I cut my teeth. And a lot of people I know like, it's still in the title of a lot of games, Dungeon Crawl Classics. There's fucking dungeons right in the title, right? So Or, or Dungeons and Dragons. dragons. Still in the title. <laughs> exactly. So, Sean... Before we get into kind of oh, some more we, details around it, here we go. Is here it? we go. It's <laughs> the question. Do you run? Have you ever run a mega dungeon or been a part of one? A yeah, mega so dungeon. I'm trying to get mega, you. I'm trying to get you to prove the fact that you're worthy to talk about this topic. <laughs> you let me down every week. Dude, I don't know why. 150 episodes later, you expect anything different? I'm trying. Jesus I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the Sean Kelly sweet spot at some point. It's coming. I. Depending how you define a mega dungeon, I don't think I've run a mega dungeon. I just I haven't. I've run Pharaoh. I've run, you know, Ravenloft, which is a castle. Mm-hmm. I've run. Oh shoot, I've run a few others that I can't remember. They all they all blur together, Brett. It's a one mega dungeon, really. But I've never ran like okay, everybody, we're gonna run a dungeon crawl, and it's gonna be. That's it. Like, you're in a dungeon, and you're going to be there forever. Yeah, I think, so the term Mega Dungeon, when I hear it, it, you usually think about it like this from a definition perspective. Multiple levels. When I say multiple, not like three, four, or five, but 10, 15, 20. I think box sets. I think huge goddamn box sets like Undermountain, where it's got... A huge layout of, you know, where one square equals 10 feet. If you unfolded it, it would cover up most average-sized kitchen tables. Level one. Level two is just as big, if not bigger. There's ups. There's downs. There are different uh, themes, often in in a lot of these different areas. If you think back to some of the old-school stuff that uh, Ernie Gygax and other people talk about in the old uh, Castle Greyhawk stuff, where you go down, you run into, like, the level of corridors or something. I'm making that up. But there'd just be this level of nothing but hallways with random doors or teleportations and themed, themed levels. Like, this is the level where the drow all live. This is, and this half of the dungeon is where the, you know, Urukai or wherever, whatever you've got going. And sometimes there's a place outside this mega dungeon, which is always kind of funny. There's this huge hole in the ground with a metric fuck ton of monsters. But for some reason, there's the village of, you know, you know, adventure, adventure town, and you can go there and stash up, heal up, and go back into the hole. Um, I love adventure town. Adventure town's awesome. Everything. Adventure is, town sounds so happy. Everything in it, all all the costs, everything in it is. I mean, the player's handbook has all the stuff that they have. It's great. Why are we not writing this shit down? Like, hey, in our campaign, hey, okay, so everybody starts out in adventure town. Exactly. That's because <laughs> we get rode out on a rail. That's why. Oh, oh! I said rail. Rail, as in drink. Yes, or no drink, or trains. Trains. Anyhow, um, so the other component with Mega Dungeon, and you, I think, hit it on the head, is we often think, okay, this means it's a dungeon crawl that never stops. 
Right. You go into this thing, and your goal is every every room, every corridor, every trap, every monster. Bang, 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 bang. It's this huge event where you go from room to room to room to room to room, ignoring the fact that why in God's green earth the uh, the wild elf druid who's been living most of her life in the great sunny glades of you know the Everton Forest is now two miles underground and not feeling claustrophobic. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's who, like it's who, a, the, who the hell would want to go into that shit? Adventurers, dude. Do you know why? Because adventurers are fucking psychopaths. They're insane. <laughs> They're crazy people. What's in that hole? Well, the hole is three feet high. I know, but what's in there? I think there's a pack of cobalt. I bet they have treasure. Head first. I mean, what's wrong with you people? Anyhow, it's a. It's like. Um, it's like a city turned upside down, right? Where <laughs> it's just everything layered out. It's this massive, massive construct. So, Sean, can you, if you think about it, when just thinking about those those concepts and whatever, why would you even want to do a mega dungeon? Does that sound at all interesting to you? Part of me does, and I would Isn't almost. That, it's like that little part of you. I don't want to say it, but it sounds kind of fun. I, it does kind of sound fun until it isn't anymore, which is probably like three sessions in. Yeah. Um, I do. It does interest me, and I it interests me more to do it on roll twenty because you can do dynamic lighting. So if you just dump, if you can, because if you dump a dungeon and it's big and it has a, it's just large a large file, you could be ruining a lot of lives on roll twenty. That's true. But I mean, if you did, if you cut it up or whatever, you could put in dynamic lighting and dynamic lighting in roll 20. I know this is kind of off the beaten path, but when you get into roll 20 and you put dynamic lighting in there and get pretty freaking cool. And I'll tell you, and I'll explain it to you. If you Google it or even go on YouTube, it'll show you how to do it and the way it looks. So I'll give you an example. So if say Brett, so, so Bray, uh, Brett, James, um, and Kev and Angela, are going through and Angela's character has, you know, they're a token on a grid and they're moving through the dungeon and maybe they're all three in different scenarios. And Brett has infravision or dark vision and Angela's character has a torch and you put in dynamic lighting and you put a sconce on the wall and that has a torch as a light source. It actually casts shadows. And then depending where Angela is and who is near her, we'll be able to see how much light the torch lights up on the map. That's right. Cool. And if Brett is not in there, he like on his screen, he will not be able to see. And if he doesn't have dark vision, he will not be able to see anything. <clears throat> That's awesome. So it, it is pretty freaking cool. It does take some time to set the shit up. There's, I mean, and for a mega dungeon, it is no freaking joke. I'm sure. Well, I'll tell you what, the other piece that, that draws actually is, is that that aside was rather handy because it draws on um, the whole mapper concept, right? Somebody, if you're going to do a mega dungeon, it is really, in Brett's opinion, diff- you can do, I mean, I do a lot of theater of mind. It's not like you can't do theater of the mind, but somebody somewhere in the group needs to keep a map because at some point, to me, that's that's part of the fun of the mega dungeon is trying to figure out where it all goes. Again, to scale, how do you how do you use maps? Do you use like little line drawings with like labels or whatever the hell you want to do fine but one of the things that i've had people say i don't want to do that i don't want to map like that it's a lot of fucking paperwork and yeah it can be i mean if you do like uh temple of elemental evil even or um uh undermountain uh and so forth they're they're big goddamn things castle greyhawk it's a big goddamn place to go and borrow maze i've looked at that that's tons and tons of stuff and if you don't map it as a, as players, you're going to get confused. The Game Master will have a pretty good idea, of course, of where the hell y'all are. But as players, or I should say as characters, you're going to end up confused. And I, I think there is, there's a weird piece of it almost doesn't... Like from my I joke with, you know, Adventure Town sitting right outside the, uh, the, the Eternal Caverns of Doom. <laughs> there's like an ecological that doesn't make any sense Brett you mean to tell me that like 10 le- levels down there's a beholder colony and they haven't just taken over what the fuck is going on it's, it's I think there's a level of disbelief sometimes just kind of hanging on the on a hook a little bit higher perhaps than than usual or it becomes the lost caverns I mean their undermountain is directly underneath Waterdeep in the Forgotten Realms 
So there's this huge, wonderful civilization right on top of this, the biggest goddamn graveyard in all of Faroon. And you just go down, 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 and you just keep playing and doing whatever. Um, but when you have ways to get in and out of it, that can that makes it a little bit more fun when players can go in for a little bit, adventure, clear out some space, go back to Adventure Town or Waterdeep or wherever you're coming, or, or Greyhawk City. Whoo, got our asses kicked, heal up. Oh, my God, Sean died again. Better raise him or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it, no, you got to go get Sean's other character. Sean's other character. Yeah, yeah, his main character died. Now, how do you get Sean Sean's new guy into the into the party? It, and that that's a very good point because when up you, came across them in the de- dungeon, chained yeah. up, and exactly. you know there's a longsword across the hall. And mega dungeons are also, in my opinion, when I have read them or dealt with them a little a little bits, is you have a lot of those those dungeon tropes, right? So you have the the myconids, the the uh, fungi, living fungi people living off in this corner. They're having a battle with kobolds who are trying to like evade, invade them, eat them, blah blah blah. So you could show up and have to help the myconids fight off the kobolds, or help the kobolds destroy the myconids, or whatever it is that you do. And you do that thing, great. I've settled this. Or you kill everybody because you're freaking murder hobo monsters. You destroy everything, take all the loot, and then go on to the next little microecology within the uh within the underdark where you're where you're roaming around. It can be a lot of fun and from what we talked about in one forty nine about groups getting together and so on, when you have a dungeon and you get it's a very I know exactly what I'm here. I'm here to plunder, loot, pillage, or at the base of this thing, I'm looking or even if you say I'm looking for the wizard, you know, you know, Madrak the Mighty, who has stolen so-and-so, or he's got a book, and he's hiding in here somewhere, and I'm hunting the fucker down. Whatever the goal is, you, it's in this space, this confined space, and you're in there doing it. It's no different than trying to search all of Waterdeep or New York or wherever you're roaming around looking for somebody or something. It's just done underground, usually. Right. So I think I think there can be a lot of fun. I think the... The interesting thing is don't my opinion would be don't be surprised when your players say that was fun can I go over land for a while right or that was fun let's go have let's go to the kingdom and have a jousting competition let's go over here and try something different again regardless of what game system you're using and we could probably try to stretch the mega dungeon thing into like a sci-fi or, or modern scenario but anyway um, there's going to be a point, I think, when most groups will be like, wow, we've been doing the grind for quite some time, and it almost has, it has a very repetitive feeling to it. At least that has been my experience with really heavy-duty, multi-session, deep-in-the-dungeon events. Have you encountered that as well, Sean? The, like, I, the, the grind feel? I, the grind is not wholly uncommon and lost upon me, no. Um However, as I'm sitting here going, God, I really should run a mega dungeon. I think if you so we haven't gone into uh creating one, we aren't going into uh, maybe we're going to go into that. I don't know why the players would be there. I don't know. Um why 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 did it even exist? Yeah, I mean there's those are all really good things to have to figure out. So that's why if we're going to do it, what do you want to include in it, right? So I guess be- so, before we jump into that, I would say the other nice thing about buying a mega dungeon, or even if you design one, you can you simply take it, crack it in half, and you have a smaller dungeon you can use multiple times. I have used the Undermountain maps a shit ton of times in multiple worlds, multiple pieces and components of it for uh, for dungeon use in other places because it's an easy, ready to go, pre-populated or pre-mapped out chunk. So using a mega dungeon in pieces can sometimes be a, like a regular uh, a pit to steal ideas from when it comes to dungeons. But anyway, Sean, yeah. what if you were going to design a mega dungeon, what would you want to put in it? What would you do? I, How would you go I about would, it? I would probably consider a, eliminating it from thinking of it as a dungeon. Like it's in a dungeon, it's underground, so I would just... That would be the criteria, but I would try to hammer it out where it is like different ecologies, environments, uh, social groups, where you can into you can get into a dungeon where it's like 
all right, there's a long hallway, and there's a door every 30 feet. <laughs> well, you know, the players are going to be like, we got to check every door, right? Yes. So that's going to take, I mean, just going down a 100-foot corridor with eat a door on each side every 30 feet, that's six doors. You're going to be there for a while, dude, if there's shit in there. Because people could be, like, whipping through them. But I'm thinking of you go in and you have the area of the dungeon where the dwarves live. Yes. They have big, huge halls. They have a kitchen and, you know, a, a militia. And the only difference between the city above and the city below is that it's dark below. And it's by corridors instead of streets, right? Yes. You can't just... Say, oh, I'll cut through this alley. No, you go down this dwarven carved corridor to the natural cavern, down the sinkhole, over to the left, through the pool of the Kuato, and now I'm where the drow are, <laughs> or whatever. Right. You know, the dwarves have their but, minds on the sides and all that stuff. Got it. But it would have to be encounters that aren't, that are uh, not going down, random encounters, door smashing. You know, it would be. There's maybe uh, politics that are involved underneath. So the dwarves are screwing around with the drow or whatever. Oh, great. Now you become involved with that, and then you have to work those angles. So it's not just going down and, you know, and you could survive down there. Like, you don't have to get out because you maybe you'll come across the place that has food or there's a marketplace down there. Yes. Right? So. Yeah, so you okay. just take it, put, but the nice thing about that is you incorporate the dungeon pieces and components that are, are what everybody equates what a dungeon is to that ecosphere. Yeah, so if you take everything that you normally have in the city and the surrounding areas and just chunk, sink it underground, put a layer of rock and mountain on top of it, and then you have dwarves with their, you know, their silver mine and they've got a problem with uh, Snurf Neblin, the deep gnomes, who are trying to work out a deal with this other thing. And, oh, by the way, there's also a necromancer who's been kind of roaming around, and periodically you've got Umber Hulks that are showing up or Mind Flares. Again, we're using D&D monsters here just for familiarity purposes. But I like that idea. I think that is definitely what I would do as well, because if it's just 10 foot, you know, 10 foot wide by a 10 by 10 corridor going down 30 feet, Check the door. There's an orc guarding a pie. You kill the orc, eat the pie, move on to the next one. Money. We slid in orc and pie. Slid in orc and pie. <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, then you move down. And then, oh, it's a group of, you know, goblins gambling or whatever it is. But if you're doing that, then the goblins and the orcs, is there a DMZ, right, between these two different warring factions? Or if there's three, if there's goblins down there, should it be two, three? Four, five. I don't know how big you want to do it, but different clans or tribes that may be trying to war over the Rothi, the uh, underground cows or whatever it is, whatever meats or supply that lives underneath. That's a huge, nasty thing that lives in the Underdark, in case you don't know. Um, anyway, so food is a big issue, clean water, all that stuff. So it's almost like living in an incredibly hostile environment from an environmental perspective, but the, because you've got the dungeon flavor on it, Right. Instead of saying, oh, I'm in a desert, or I'm in a mountainside, or I'm in the wastelands, chunk, I'm just underground, which is kind of like a desert and a wastelands and horrible, broken, badlands terrain because of the rocks and all the creatures that live down here. I like that idea. I think that's a real, I think yeah. that's a better approach than just trying to do 10 foot corridors everywhere. So the DMZ, Brett, mm -hmm. is all about the space in between those groups. So what may be very carved out. And there's a, you know, the dwarven civilization, and then there's whatever beasties, another civilization. In between is maybe the roughed out, carved out, you know, rough uh, cavern, natural caverns. Maybe it's an extinct haunted component, but it's between those. And in order to get to those, you got to go through there, and then that's got some dynamics. Or maybe, maybe there's a labyrinth actually that connects the two. And the reason the labyrinth's in place is because, you know, maybe the dwarves wanted to set that up as an obstacle between the two and that they could patrol that and they know it well enough 
if they need to maneuver through it. So there's a whole different thought process into making that all come together. It's But just think of a huge mountain range and all that space to be able to do it. Because it's not like, oh, the dwarves are here, and then you go down 100 feet down the hall, and there's a whole other ball game. It's got to be oh. a big distance between. And even if you go – so First Liber in his uh, Far For the Grey Mauser stories, there is one of the, my favorite stories, uh, Lords of Cormall. And Cormall is a city that's basically upside down. On top of this hill is the upper part of Cormall. They constantly capture people for slaves and whatever, and they work and do tunneling and so forth down. And there's multiple layers. If you read the story, it talks about how they go through, and the Lord of Cormall himself has these two sons, and they have different factions. They're trying to figure out how to kill each other but not kill each other so Dad doesn't get mad, and their father might die, and there's a vizier. There's all these different political machinations. Library doesn't initially go into D&D-style monsters, but if you read that, the political components in there I think are great fodder and a really good example for what Sean's talking about, which I, I absolutely agree. I think that makes it more interesting because if you're down there and you say, well, it's this, <coughs> excuse me, it's a doppelganger group that lives here, and they're like, look, you know, we're not trying to do blah, blah, blah. We're actually we're just trying to survive. The problem is we're being hunted by this other group of um, creatures or whatever it is, so we would like to pay you to help us take our people to this meeting place because they're supposed to be working on a truce. So you've got caverns and passages and all these different things, and in the middle is this DMZ, as you said, and that's where the truce is supposed to be held. So you have an escort service from each side. You've got potential assassination attempts, all this really cool shit. It's just happening in a confined space, which makes it tactically, could tactically change things up a little bit because you're no longer in open plane or anything like that. So I like that. I like that a lot. That's pretty cool. I think, though, there is a piece of the traditional dungeon aspects that you can and maybe should throw into, right? Have those doors, those passages, the orc guarding a pie, you know, the green slimes and all that stuff. That's always good to have. But I think you're, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say most definitely, man. I think you're dead right, though, that if you, if it just becomes into, if it turns into a dungeon crawl that never ends and doesn't, it's just like go down the hall, kick in the door, look for traps, listen at the door, that becomes very monotonous and, and just not all that much fun, at least in my opinion. So to spice it up, you can start with that. And then that one door you crack open leads into a place where there may have been a landslide or something, and then you end up in this deeper, darker, oh, my God, there's a whole world down here. Um, now, to step out from that for a second to talk about characters, when we I, I joked about this at the beginning, but I think that this is one of those things that kind of start with a uh, the ground rules or the, the session zero with your, with your players. You say, look, you're going to be underground a lot when that – and when I say, well, I want to make this, you know, wood elf druid who loves open spaces and she's she's a weather, she worships the goddess of weather and she's all about calling lightning and being this really cool person, you might have to say, yeah, but you're going to be like a mile underground. I wouldn't do that if I were you or you're going to, you know, I, I, I think that really being upfront and honest saying, look, I'm planning most of the encounters and adventures are going to take place underground. If you come back out to be for brief bits of time, the action is going to be underground. And making sure the players make characters that are suited to that. They could be uncomfortable being underground, right? You could have that fighter who's not, oh, doesn't like it, is a little claustrophobic, and feels the weight of the mountain on top of him, or doesn't like tight spaces. But having somebody who's a hardcore cavalier type person whose major feats and skills are all about being on horseback, probably not necessarily the right dude to send down a hole to go fight kobolds. Right, right team for the right job. Yes. But you can still have the political, because if you say, hey, there's political machinations and that stuff in there, you're highly skilled bards. Knowledge for wizards, because you're going to show up um, and you're going to encounter um, strange lost magics. Your clerics are absolutely needed. You know, those, the folks who know about religions, because you're going to find other things, archaeology type of perspectives. All that stuff will be really handy, because you're going to encounter all sorts of lost and forgotten things. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think you're, a decent mega dungeon is all about the ecology and the fun of dealing with the different, kind of the upside-down world aspects of it. So, therefore, when I think mega dungeon going forward, I want to make sure I'm, when I want to pitch that to the next group I want to run a mega dungeon for, 
all the stuff we just said, that's what I got to remind him of. Like, hey, this is all going to be down there. It won't be, it, you won't get bored after two sessions, I promise, because this is what's coming. That seems to make sense. I like that. Yeah. Cool. Now, let me think here. Do you, do you own any Mega Dungeons? I do not. I don't offhand. Like, I don't know. I don't have anything I would call a Mega Dungeon. Okay. You own Tolis though, don't you? I do, which is all uh which is all city adventuring. So if you took that all urban. if you took that city and dropped it five hundred feet underground. Um I could, yes. Just saying from a from an inspiration perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. True. I have actually I have the Shackled City. I don't know how I have the Shackled City hardback. Okay. That's, I think, pretty underground. I think it's like, I think I started reading it and it takes place in a volcano. Hmm. And then it goes from there. But I don't think it's all underground. I could be wrong. But yeah. Okay. I mean, I have. I do have Under, I do have Under Mountain. Mm-hmm. I think I have Under Mountain, the 3 5 version. Okay. I have the, I think it's the, I have the box sets. I came out yeah. for second edition box sets. And those are more toolkitty than they are actually saying this room has this and this room has this. It's got hints and tricks and things to do. Um <clears throat> excuse me, but it's it's not a world's largest dungeon or a borrow maze where it's kind of room by room, this is what's here type of thing, but it's pretty goddamn big. Yeah, it was I thought I knew somebody who was going through world's largest dungeon and it's like Holy shit, man. Like, how long would it take you to get through that thing? I don't know. Some of those... I, the other component, too, is that I, I honestly think that at a certain point when the player's like, wow, this has been fun, but are we done yet? I think by setting up a couple different... Even if you have the political machinations or whatever, there is a, a goal or a couple goals. So that way, when the group has gone through, they've accomplished a few things. Like, okay, cool. How you guys doing? Yeah, I think we're done with this. And she's like, no, I want to keep going. Everyone else is done. All right, fine. We'll go back to the surface. Or we really like these characters, though. Let's take them back to the surface. Or that was fun. Let's go play Dangerous Space Jail or something different. Because if I ever see another you know, 10 by 10 corridor carved with stone sloping slightly down, I'll go crazy. It might, uh, <laughs> it might be that time when you ate an entire pint of ice cream and went, wow, that was a bad idea. <laughs> if you're not careful. So I think the last word of warning from my perspective anyways, take the player's pulse and see how they're liking it. If they're totally grooving on the dungeon aspect of it and don't mind being underground, keep on rolling. But as soon as they start talking about, yeah, maybe it'd be nice to see the sun every once in a while and feel a breeze or something along those lines, you know, maybe knock a hole in the wall and let them get out. Let us know if you love playing in dungeons or if you love running Dun- like literal long mega dungeon dungeon crawls, or if you don't, and why? The other piece that I would say too is if you have a mega dungeon that you love, like if it's Barrow Maze or if it's um, World's Largest Dungeon or anything out there that you would consider a mega dungeon that you think is really good, that would be cool to have uh, get that kind of a list going uh, of things our listeners think is awesome. Because it, hey, if you guys like it, it's worth Sean and I checking out. That's right. All right, let's get into die roll. Let's do that. Die roll! 24 miscellaneous points, scheming, Greek, green, want to share with you. I've got two. The first one is there was a secret Nazi, uh, I love this, the, the, the title was Secret uh, Nazi German Weather Station. Nazi in German, I thought, kind of went side to side when it came to World War II. But anyway, <laughs> secret Nazi weather station in Canada, apparently, was discovered 38 years after it was built. Link in the show notes. The reason I like these types of things are, again, for your Delta Green or just that lost, you come upon a thing, and you're like, what the hell is this? And then you have the great opportunity to, to spring crazy wildness upon your players. And a bit of... Not necessarily shocking, but like, oh, I didn't know they were in that dire straits. But Geek Chic uh, is bankrupt slash going out of business. Uh, people, geek Chic, you geek dork. Geek Chick, Chic. Zip zaps. Zip zaps. Geek, geek Chick. I didn't say Chick. I said Chic. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's much different. Anyway, they're going out of business. They're bankrupt. 
Patrick Rothfuss and other investors are left high and dry. Apparently, um, word on the street is, from what I've seen, different people posting that they um, like merged with an, or bought another company. They've got they had debt problems, but they're uh, they're done. I've never met anybody who didn't think their products was really cool and went, "Wow, that'd be neat. I wish I could afford one." I've never actually met anybody who's had one. Everybody I know has said, "Boy, that'd be really neat to have." But, oh fuck, the price point. And uh, every once in a while, you kind of go look at the website and go, wow, that would be really cool to have, but I can't spend $4,000 on a table and even move on. But, uh, Sean, did you know anybody who ever owned one? I do not. The closest sexy gaming table I've ever seen is the uh, is Monty Cook's old one that um, Alex Camera has in the game hole. Yeah. But other than that, I've never seen one in, in the wild apart from at a convention. But anyway, kind of sucks. Out of business. Over to you, sir. Yeah. Michael Parker, patron of the show, started his own podcast called The Closet Gamer. So if you're interested, uh, take a look at that link in the show notes. Congratulations, Michael, to launching that podcast. We wish you all the best. Stick at it. I know there's a little bit of actual play talk in there and some other things. Um, Almost like a pseudo radio drama. I have not listened yet, but that's one of the descriptions of one of the episodes. So, yeah, another podcaster we know that's... Friend of the show. Friend of us. Very cool. Uh, Number two, the deepest, weirdest, hugest mega dungeons ever created. Uh, I think that's on io9. I don't have a link on there. I have to find that link again. Uh, By Ed Grabianowski. Um, It's Some of it is good, and like I think he put a a Kia on there. And I'm like, a Kia? Seriously? (laughs) He he says a Kia is like a a mega dungeon. Yeah, because you go and there's only one way. You can't go against the stream because it'll kill you. Right. I don't know why my link's not in there. I'll have to put that in there. Uh, And then my last one, Mega Dungeons in Print and on the Web by David Hartlage or Hartlage. Um, he did a blog article on some of the mega dungeons that he's appreciated. And, uh, you may agree with some of those. You may disagree and that's okay. But nonetheless, um, some of the ones that you might be aware of that you may not be aware of. And the listeners. Yeah. Always some cool stuff there. Let's see. Hi, Sean and Brett. I was wondering if you could please mention this on your next die roll. If you think it's worthy of shout out. I created a Mutant Crawl Classic zero-level generator. It's totally free to use and is found through the following link. That is www.oldschooladventures.org slash MCC. The generator will allow MCC judges and players to print out batches of randomly generated zero-level characters for MCC character funnels, etc. Who did that, Sean? You put that in there, but I don't have it in. <laughs> I don't know who did that. Uh, hold on. You have to I... look that up. Well, while he... What was that? Mark Tasaka. Mark Tasaka? Oh, yeah, it was Mark. Yeah. Takashi. Mark, was it Takashi? Mark Tasaka, I said. Did I say to? Oh, my God. I'm butchering names all day today. It's Mark Tasaka. Mark did it. Okay. Christopher Gray then pointed out the Cthulhu Wars Kickstarter. Cthulhu Wars is the premier horror strategy game with high-quality miniatures, great competitive gameplay tactics. Link in the notes for that. And um, let's see. Ray Otis gave us a... Uh, Arnold's Montanus's New and Unknown World. It's a 1671 book. It's a selection uh, from the 125 copper engravings featured in a Dutch, featured in the Dutch explorer, missionary, and theologian's monumental uh, compilation from 1671. As I said, so pretty darn cool. Good stuff. I like looking at some of the old monster drawings, and um, if from a handouts perspective, sometimes taking those and saying the. The uh, you know the villagers think it's this. You're like, what the fuck is that thing? You know, is that a dragon manticore thingy? Pretty pretty cool stuff. Anything else, Sean? Yeah. No, that's it for this week on gaming and BS. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brad? Well, let's see here. God dang, we're at episode 150 already, so we might have to kick into something a little bit different. You know what? I've got two things I'm thinking about, Sean. And thinking about another episode of the player series to address a couple of those, or or talking about emotional gaming, kind of that whole bleed, the emotional bleed component of gaming. Emo gaming? Yes, emo gaming. That's the Don My Black outfit and it might help you. White white paint. Might help you get in the mood. But anyway. Emo. Anyway. <laughs> knowing that that's how you're treating it, I'll probably have to go with a player series stuff instead. <laughs> 
Would I be all emo? Oh, God. All emo all the time. Yes. Anyway. Well, excellent. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> I don't know why you're looking at me a blank face. I don't know. I don't know either. I just... Oh, anyway, carry on. <laughs> this, is, hey, this has been another episode of Game and MBS. I'm that guy. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphleet, James Carpio, not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankcounter, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tsaka, Tim Shorts, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Evan Harrison Cass, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lang, and Curtis Takahashi. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider heading over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, patrons. Thanks, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.